welcome to Reality TV PhD. I'm Christina. And I'm M. Here's the deal. M and I were both in school for far, far too long. We decided it was time for us to climb out of the ivory tower and plop onto the couch to talk about our favorite academic subject, reality TV. From dating shows that make you question the future of humankind, to competition shows with 40-plus seasons, to that one show about a farmer trying to find a wife, for better or worse, we watch it all. We're here with hot takes, dissertations about topics you never asked for, and questions you wished another student would ask so you don't have to. Class has begun. Wow. What a week. Wow. I feel that all of my emotions are elevated. And I know that is because Aries season is almost upon us. But wow. I'm feeling hopeful for the future. The future of what? I was going to say a reality TV, but then I just thought maybe just for the future. But But because of reality TV. That's good to hear because the research I was doing this morning for my office hours, I was in a dark hole. So I'm glad to hear that. Well, you got to take our wins and we can get them. And I just think there's some great innovation happening in our world of reality TV. So my cheeks hurt already. I'm so happy. I'm so excited. (laughs) Well, let's talk about this last week because we've been getting some hilarious and and lovely wonderful feedback from everyone yeah that's that was the most exciting when we heard from a select few people that they are now going to watch survivor slash survivor australia we should just end the pod now i know yes that was our goal accomplished yes thank you to everyone keep the feedback coming one of the biggest asks we got actually from more than one person and boy was this a surprise We're really getting highbrow here, folks. People want links to the articles that we're referencing. I, in particular, got asked for the links to the articles I discussed during office hours last week. And so we're going to add those links into the description of last week's episode. And we'll do that going forward with any article we discuss all right, shall we homeroom catch Let's up? Let's do it. I think we both have multiple highs and lows of the week, or at least I do. Spoiler alert for me this episode is that what I have to talk about in homeroom is going to make me late for seminar, and I'm not going to participate in seminar that much because I didn't have as much to say about this week's episode of Survivor compared to how many things we have to discuss about the reality landscape more broadly from the past week. Totally fine. We're flexible here. Shall we start with highs? Let's do it. This will be a journey. The first thing I want to talk about is the parasocial relationships that I've developed over the last week. We talked about when we were in our 20s, sort of thinking we wanted to be certain Bachelor contestants, for example. Yes. I feel like Becca Martinez. By the way, let me be clear who I wanted to be. Becca Martinez and Kendall Long. I love them both as well. Okay, love that. Still follow Becca on Instagram. Do have a parasocial relationship (laughs) with her. (laughs) So parasocial relationships are obviously one-sided relationships that people have with celebrities, influencers, what have you, on the internet, over social media. 
that is like the modern day version of how we used to consume shows, I think, as teenagers, where all we could do was like Google and see what came yeah. up or Bing. Yeah. I don't know. What did we do back then? We binged. Yep. Ask Jeeves. <laughs> we asked Jeeves. I love to look up people on shows, uh-huh. especially on dating shows to see if they're still together. Mm-hmm. But the two people that I became obsessed with just on their show. Okay. I know you know who it's going to be. I don't know. And, oh, you do. It's okay. Liz and Shawnee from Survivor Australia. Season oh, 10. okay. I love them. I love their friendship, but I also love them as people. And I started following each of them on Instagram. Okay. Here's what I learned. Are you aware that they are both Tauruses? I was not aware. And I feel so good about my stock as a Taurus just skyrocketed. So I'm sending you one of Shawnee's stories. It's her list of non-negotiables in life. Okay. And it is the most Taurus list I've ever seen. Living within an hour of a beach. Check. Silk pillowcases. Fresh flowers always. I agree. Living within four hours of my family. Check. Oysters is a hard no for me. Wow. Walking in nature. Check. Investing in my health. Check. Although she lists sauna. And I feel like I could be doing more saunaing. And Perello olives. Now I shall be looking that up. She is living a life that poor eye around the world. Yes. Can and only let me dream just of. let me just say that the background, I just noticed this. I was reading the text. The background image is of a charcuterie board. And there's nothing, in my opinion, more Taurus than a charcuterie board. For listeners who aren't aware, M is a Taurus sun sign. Yes. Christina, me. I am a Taurus rising. So that earth energy runs deep in this mm-hmm. podcast. Who's your favorite Instagram follower, you know, parasocial relationship that you've developed and continued? From reality TV? Yeah. Oh, I have an easy answer. Have Do you watched Indian Matchmaker? No. Ooh. I know. Okay. I still haven't. My fave, by far, I don't know her last name, but her first name is Aparna. She's on season one and two of Indian Matchmaker. I'm not even going to try to describe her as a person because words will not do her justice. I have often thought, and I've said this to people who will listen to me, that I think that she might be one of the most legendary reality TV contestants of our generation. That is a really bold claim. Well, watch the show. I've got my assignments. I'm not done. I know you're ready for oh, me to be done. Oh, I was, but no. <laughs> Please continue, Christina. The last one, we're going to shift to a little more seriousness. Okay. Is Eliza Orleans from Survivor. She is a lawyer and she's run for various offices in New York. So she has posted a series of TikToks this week calling out Nick Wilson, a previous Survivor winner. He is a representative in the state of Kentucky, and he has signed on to pass one of the most restrictive anti-trans laws in the country. I looked at this law before we logged on, and let me give you a summary. It is pretty much a potpourri of some of the worst anti-trans laws that we're seeing pop up around the country, all rolled into one. We have a ban on gender-affirming care for minors, the threat of doctors having their licenses revoked and civil actions being taken against them. 
We have a bathroom bill preventing people from using bathrooms that align with their gender identity. It does say if you are essentially trans and in school, you can get accommodations for being trans, but not an accommodation where you can use a bathroom that aligns with your gender identity. Maybe you can get your own single stall. There's a ban on studying anything about gender expression or sexual orientation. So that's your don't say gay bill that we've seen states like Florida pass. Really horrible, regressive law. Horrible. Eliza has given, I guess she does a series on TikTok where she talks about like the worst survivor and he gets her award this week. And she's come out on a few different TikToks since then saying, you know, trans rights are human rights, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, And she also goes so far as to say, look, if you're a fan of the franchise, I don't want to see pictures of you with this guy with your arm around him. Yeah. You need to take the time to call someone out for their behavior and their actions that are harming so many people. Yeah. So shout out to Eliza Orleans. Not a shout out to Nick. And that is really upsetting because I was a Nick fan, fan of I was a fan of him. I mean, I haven't followed him whatsoever post show, but I I certainly was a fan of that season he was on. Yeah. I love that season. It was a good season. So but that is upsetting. Well, you know, we use the Internet for posting our tourist wish lists and our call outs for people to do better Mm -hmm. and to stand up for trans folks. Yep. I will wrap up my highlights section by saying just a general shout out below deck, loving the sailing yacht trailer. That is my season. Oh, Colin. Wow. Wow. Colin is hot. My highs are not as long as my lows. It's from RuPaul's Drag Race, which comes out on Friday nights, but I don't watch them until after we record the podcast. So this is technically from last Friday, the lip sync competition at the end of last episode was the best I've ever seen. I'm not even someone, and maybe this is sacrilege, that really understands the art of the lip sync or has any way of really judging if it was good or not. I feel like there's criteria that I'm not I'm not getting, but I, I appreciate it as an art form. Last week's performance, in particular, Anitra, so good. The second one, my second high is an in real life high. But I did not, I took everything in me to not tell Christina and like no one else would be excited about this, but I will be sharing. I went to the climbing gym on Thursday night in San Diego where I live and I saw with my very own eyes a contestant from the Bachelorette season, Katie Thurston's Bachelorette season. No. An iconic player from that season due to what happened post-show. No. I did. I saw this man, John Hersey. Oh, the contestant who got eliminated early in the season. But then post show after Katie breaks up with Blake, her ring winner, she starts a relationship with this man. And that man, John, is who I saw at the climbing gym. I recognized him immediately. My boyfriend was like, please do not do anything to embarrass yourself. I did not ask him for an autograph. I did not do anything. I did study very closely the dynamics of him and the group he was with just to like, you know, I've never seen, I've very rarely seen a bachelor contestant in in the wild. And I think the climbing gym is usually probably a safe place for them to go because no one's, there's probably low overlap over people who are climbing at like 9 PM on a Thursday night and watching reality TV, but nope. I am truly impressed that you recognized him. Oh yeah. Instantly. But I don't think I would have recognized this guy. I walked in, saw him almost screamed, looked at Daniel. 
and kept telling Daniel, this is a huge moment for me. Yeah. I was like, this is a huge, <laughs> you're not understanding. This is a huge moment. I wish someone were here who would understand how huge of a moment this is. So I thought you were going to say Greg, which no, I, I would I, have. I, you know, yeah. I mean, the, I would have had to text you about that. Greg Grippo. No, I would have texted you. John, also worth recognizing. So are they still together? No, no, no. No. Look, the only thing I remember was her 12 days of... Oh, mess? Yeah, that was a Messy. choice. I, I love I did love it. I love her. Wow. Switching to the lows, I have a... <laughs> I have three. I'm sorry. I'm just reading my lows. One of them I'm positive we will have in common, and it is Will's talent show from Are You The One? If that is not a low of yours, what have you been doing? We will be sharing this video somehow. It is incredible they did a talent show last week and this contestant who is something else sang a song in it that was also mixed with an apology for this girl he's trying to date or romance and it is just and the editors just zoom in on the other people's faces it's 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 a thing of beauty so it was not on the list because honestly this is a lifetime low for me i can't watch people do this i cannot (laughs) it was i mean my spouse had to leave the room it's so good. Oh, God. Oh, I love, too, that the, the so woman good. that he was trying to apologize for, she was like, sure. And then, like, in her confessional said, I absolutely do not forgive him. Oh, and no. You know what? This song did not help. Did not help. This second low is this week on The Bachelor. It was hometowns. And the first hometown was Gabby's hometown in Vermont. And the activity that Zach and Gabby do is get maple syrup out of a tree. And it's not the part that you think that I'm going to say is my low. My low is, is when in general, you know how like there's that cute thing where if you're on a date and you're bowling and the one person's better at bowling and they like use it as an excuse to like kind of touch your side and put their hand on your hand and help you bowl. Same with golfing. Like we see that trope, like this trope of romance excuse for like touching, flirting to like help someone do something better. Christina has a disgusted face on. I think that that's, it's a fine trope. Oh, okay. It's a fine trope. I mean, I don't love it myself, but it doesn't make me, it wouldn't be a low for me. But in this episode, they're drilling a hole into a tree. I don't even know. Like you have to hold this screw driver thing and rotate a crank. And (laughs) Zach did the bowling golf thing with, for that action. So he was like using it as an excuse to like put his hands on top of her hands, like stand behind her. And it was the most awkward version of that, that I think exists like not all things not all activities should be involved in that trope of generally (laughs) helping someone do something i had so many questions because it was clear that neither of them had done this before so why are they out there unsupervised trying to drill maple syrup from the tree and making all of these disturbing sexual innuendos so disturbing a, a practice to just get some maple syrup and you know, everyone's going to get very tired of me for saying this, but the origins of tapping maple syrup are with indigenous peoples. So yet again, another opportunity missed. Missed. But I think a lot left to be desired with some of these hometowns. My favorite was the Ikea furniture building. Oh, me too. And essentially having Zach move her into her apartment. Who was Loved this? It. Katie. Katie, yes. Really a great use of her time. I think we can all applaud someone who is just trying to get shit done. Yeah, use that home hometown date for 
free professional mover of The Bachelor. Okay, quickly, my final low, and this is the one that I was laughing the most about, was I, I, I did I did succumb to the ads and I'm watching Next in Fashion and I got through the second episode and I just have to share with you a look that the judges said that they loved. And this is... It's similar to me watching lip syncs, but even more so where I'm like, what am I missing to evaluate taste? I think we should have just a general disclaimer that neither of us should be judging anyone's fashion. (laughs) No, this was celebrated. It's a male bride, which conceptually is a great concept, I think. Wow. Okay, here's what I want to say. I actually love this. Personally, I would want my face to be exposed. Well, it can't be. But if we could get this as a dress, I would wear it to the Taylor Swift era's tour. Sure. But we do acknowledge that this person's face is completely covered. Well, that is the traditional way of wedding. You must put a veil over the face because patriarchy. Oh, okay. Well, you learned something new. I've never been married, so I don't know. Of course, one of my lows is Are You the One? But my low is a full season low. Maybe it's a full series low. I haven't Mm. watched enough to tell you, but the challenges that they have Mm. them do every week, clearly they spent some money, made these big wooden things, and essentially they have to match names to actions. Like, who is the person in the house most likely to still be in love with your ex? And then you, you know, put it in there. It is so boring. It is so boring. My other low light in the finale of Love Trip Paris which is a show on Freeform that follows four women meeting their Paris suitors. There is one couple, Caroline, and she ends up getting a knuckle tattoo of her girlfriend's name in the final episode. That is a low for me as a personal life choice, but a high for gay representation on TV. What does the knuckle tat say? Oh, it's Lisa's name. Oh, cut to Lisa. Not even sure if she's in it as much as Caroline is. One of my favorite quotes, object early or regret later. The good news is they're still together. Okay, good. We love that. Unlike everyone, perfect match. I love queer representation. Love Trip Paris had it. Oh, so complex. A high of a show and a low of a moment. Mm-hmm. in the show all right final uh section of homeroom we are r- really late for seminar but who cares this week my only prompt is really a question for you christina which is we're seeing in survivor australia which i won't give any spoilers because i know you're a couple episodes behind me some people have to navigate their in real life friendships and relationships with each other with the game friendships and relationships with each other. You know, some people are really good friends outside the show. Maybe they're on different alliances within the show. And I wanted just your personal thoughts on, do you think that you would be able to, uh, okay, backstab people who you're really good friends with in in real life when you're on the show? Oh, definitely. Okay, easy. Easy for the Aries. Any of my friends would be surprised to hear that quick response. I would definitely preface it with, I believe in transparency and trying to act with some sort of honor. So that would mean I would tell them before we go on the show, there are no rules when we enter the game. And then I would send them a nice gift basket after the game. Wow. Okay. She didn't literally even take a breath before she answered that question. Just, just know that Christina's friends just know that. M, what about you? Oh, I think I would have a way harder time, but I'm a crier. So 
I'm a rage crier. So that is what would get me in trouble is if I got so mad I couldn't stop crying at a child. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Noted. My question for you, but when you talk to someone and they say, I'm ready, it's time for me to embark on Survivor. What is the first season you tell them to watch? OMG, I have no idea because, you know, I'm not a completionist and I did not watch every single season. So if like just off the top of my head, I honestly would probably say probably this current season of Survivor Australia or two seasons ago, Survivor Australia, which I'm not sure what number that is. But now I'm trying to find eight. But now I'm trying to find I loved now I feel bad because of what we discussed about Nick Wilson. I don't want people to watch that season now. Was that David versus Goliath? God, I feel like it was because he would have been a David. Yes. Yep. David versus Goliath. I didn't hate season 36. What an endorsement. What is season 36? <laughs> Ghost Island. Okay. I, I like that. Honestly, here's the thing is I, I, what comes to mind are characters, contestants, mm-hmm. And, and like less like the whole season or, or yes. the theme of the season. And so I'm just thinking to mind, like, who are some of my favorite players of the modern era? Because as we know, I'm going back and rewatch and watching for the first time the historical era, the non-modern era, which are amazing. Ep- like I'm watching Pearl Islands right now, and I definitely endorse that. But it's probably if it's your first season, it'll make you feel really bad about what Survivor is because it's quite dated. I would agree with that. It is hard because that's why I think we like Survivor Australia season 10 as a great entryway because it has the old vibes of Survivor, but modern editing and modern gameplay. So that is nice to see. The one that I always say for the US version is Heroes versus Villains because of the personality piece. And again, it's it's hard because when you do Heroes versus Villains, there's people that have these established personalities, but I've gone in cold for Survivor Australia and I, I can pick it up. It's fine. You want to get something that's really entertaining for the first season and Heroes versus Villains Survivor is an iconic season. Yes. I don't I think I have watched that and I just looked up the cast and I co-signed that. So let us let that be our official recommendation, Heroes versus Villains. Okay, great. Seminar time. We'll be talking about this week's episode of Survivor, season Womp. 44, episode Womp. 3, Womp. That's a great soundtrack for this. Why was it so boring? <sighs> so boring. What a non-compelling podcast. <laughs> Just two people to say, boring episode. You know what? It's why we had heavy homeroom light on the seminar this week. Listeners, if you disagree with us about this week in Survivor, that's fine. Just know that Christine and I are both watching greatest seasons of survivor of all time survivor australia you will be sick of us saying that and i do think that that counterfactual is is making us maybe be a little bit more harsh on us that's 100 percent true we watched last week's episode of survivor and then immediately turned on australia because i needed a palate cleanser i have one open question for you which is admittedly silly can i ask it to you can i ask it Please. Why can't I say words? How much of a romance do you think we will see between Matt and Franny? Do you think we're going to get an on-screen smooch? I'm torn because Mm -hmm. the part of me that is rooting for Franny, hashtag queer in STEM, wants her to be ruthless and get him out Mm. and for this to be all a ploy. I know. I'm sorry. The other part of me has read the episode descriptions on Hulu that CBS puts up for Survivor, and they keep 
referring to them as a romance. Yeah. They're teasing it. I think there might be something there. Give me your odds for on-screen smooch. And by odds, I mean percent likelihood. Uh, 40%. Oh, too low. All right. I'll go with 60. I'll take the over on that. All right. Second point, in this season of Survivor, for those who aren't watching, there's been a new device that's been introduced where when everyone gets to their camps at the beginning of the season, slightly in the forest is a bird cage that has a bag in it that you cannot see through, but ostensibly there's something inside the bag and you need a key to open the bird cage. So a lot of the first episodes is everyone looking for this key. If you find a key, then you can open the bird cage. It's up to you whether you want to do that in front of everyone or keep it to yourself. Inside the bag in the bird cage is an immunity idol, like the most powerful tool in the game that you can advantage in the game that you can win. So there's a parchment that goes with an immunity idol that describes the rules of the idol, which is just the normal rules. And there's the immunity idol. But then there's also a second like bracelet or something that's absolutely meaningless. And that's on a different parchment. It describes that that second bracelet is meaningless. And what it is kind of setting a decision for contestants to make is what do they want to do with this meaningless bracelet? Do they want to pretend that it's an idol that they have? Do they want to put that bracelet back in the bag with the actual idol parchment and then hide the key in a more obvious place so that someone else on their tribe finds the key, opens it, and finds that bracelet and thinks, oh my God, this is an idol when it's really not a real idol and the original finder has kept the real idol. And I guess my concern, and this is really the only big thing I have to talk about this episode is, I don't know if this is the right word, but like fake idol creep, dope creep, an analogy, which is if production is facilitating fake idols to this extent where it's like, here is one. And also here's a parchment you can put with it and like, go ahead. I worry that every season from now on, if someone finds an idol, no one will know if their idol is real. And I know that there's fake idols that have been made in seasons past, but it's quite rare and production has never really facilitated it to this extent. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on the kind of slippery slope we're now entering where any idol, based on now what we've seen production facilitate, no one can ever be excited when they find an idol. The use of idols as a tool in Survivor period, I feel, is really controversial. There's been an increase of idols being placed as the seasons have progressed. As you mentioned, like there are so many funny examples of fake idols in play, one being a literal stick that someone convinced another player was an idol. With that history in mind, I see what production was thinking. But again, sort of back to our conversation around magic, I want production's hands out of it. When people are creating fake idols, I want to see them create it out of sticks and the beads from the torches and whatever else they have around them. So my thought is, wow, this is so juicy, period. Them trying to meddle with it by actually creating a really formal type of fake idol just detracts for me. Agreed. My only question for you, and this is more of a memory question, is did Jeff always take away the flint of a tribe that lost? No, that's in the that started when season 40 began and they realized they could do like 20, 29 or 26 day season and make it more intense and the hardest thing ever. And so to make it really hard, he'll take the flint if you lose the immunity challenge. I guess if I'm not seeing the actual impacts of that Mm -hmm. production choice, then Mm -hmm. why are you still doing it? 
because mm-hmm. there's not really a lot of time devoted to people talking about we don't have fire, you know, on Agreed. episode three. Maybe if this was Australia and we had an hour and a half long episode. Exactly. I my recommendation to you, Jeff, is cut that. I don't care. Cut that. We don't care. I Perfect. agree with you fully or 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 show us the impact of that choice. One or the other. Right. Because not having food, not having fire, not being able to boil water, all great plot points in previous seasons. Yeah. I love Christina is <laughs> evil <laughs> to watch people suffer voluntarily. <laughs> Would you turn on your friends in the show in a heartbeat? Make people starve, take away their fire, make them freeze. We love it. She's evil. I love that. I love that I'm learning that about her. They all signed up. They all signed up. They know what it is. 44 seasons. There's no surprises. Drop the four, keep the four. That's what Jeff says when any. it's a season past 40, which is funny when it's 44 because they're both fours. <laughs> Small <laughs> notes that I... No, I will be editing it out. Do not edit this out. Someone consistently sits out of challenges. Is that allowed? Maybe I'm missing something. Well, it definitely was allowed and resulted in her being voted out. Yep. (laughs) Second, uh, someone eats literal earthworms in this episode, and I just thought, let's not do that. There's this incredible moment where I think it's at the end of the immunity challenge, and two teams, one immunity, and one team has to go to tribal council. And Jeff goes to the, or he goes, this tribe... Here's your idol, second place tribe, here's your idol, and third place tribe, you know what this makes you. And they're all looking at him like, and then he goes, losers. And all the tribe members are like, as if this is like a thing that he says normally and that they say to him, they all go, losers. (laughs) Because it's like, everybody together now, you're losers. But it's never, I don't think he's ever said that before. I just, it tickled me. Snarky Jeff is my favorite version of Jeff Probst. Me too. He's too, yeah, he's too nice recently. So I loved it. I was like, yeah, you tell him, Jeff. You tell him that they're losers. Make them say it with you. I have zero honor rolls this week because I don't care about anyone on this season. I'm really ranting now. I care about Carolyn and, and Jam Jam. But I don't care about anyone else. No one makes no one makes honor roll. Agreed. As we mentioned, Claire was voted out. I have a long rant related to this, but it is basically my office hours. So I will hold my scream count. I'm going to go first because it's related to what you just said. I screamed three times. Worms. One. Yes. Eating of the worms. Two. When Franny gets to go into the voting booth, her face is just pure delight. I disagree. No, I actually... I'm worried. I'm I'm scared to say this, but I I am I'm lower on Franny after this week. It's a little bit. You think it's authentic. I think it's a, I think it's authentic, but it's a little bit too much for me. Her eagerness and she said, "Sorry to interrupt you, but I need to say this because we need to fight about this." In tribal council, she said. Jeff loves when people use analogies and metaphors. It's so weird. It's becoming this like, who can say the better metaphor or analogy at tribal council? Look out for it. You'll notice it. She said, it's like we're on a sick merry-go-round and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you planned that sentence. Go back, Christina, and watch it. Franny I agree. memorized that sentence and said it in tribal. And I'm not about that. Okay. Yes. Do I not like inauthentic people? I do like people that are playing good games. And I feel like she's super smart. 
she is smart. I'm sure she's a great person. And I think honestly, sorry, I'm ranting. I'm taking it out on Franny, but I think it's more of a it's back to this, our episode last week. This cast is pretty young also mm-hmm. and a lot of super fans. Yep. And I think that combination is making me notice a theme and how they're acting. And yeah, it's the same as we were talking about last week. It's an added layer of self-awareness. And for some reason, I'm taking it out on Franny this week and I and I really shouldn't. And as you know, my high of Survivor is the romance between her and Matt. So I'm, I'm definitely pro Franny, but continue with your scream count, Aries. My... My apologies. No, it's totally fine. I'm excited to see where Franny's journey takes her because I have no idea sort of where I'm going to shake out on her as a contestant. Uh, My last scream was when Claire was voted out because I was so mad. As I said, rage crier over here, rage screamer. I will rant about this in a few moments. Stay tuned for office hours. I bet I could predict what it's about. And I am so sorry to say this. My cry count is zero. Well, that really shows how this week was. Yeah. I'm I'm getting emotional just thinking about that. I might start crying right now. <laughs> All right. So cry count one. <laughs> Upon reflecting about this week. Nothing. I'm just looking at my notes for another show. I just wrote in all caps. I have never felt more pissed. So maybe it's Aries season is coming up and that's what I'm feeling. But nothing in this episode made me feel like I wanted to cry. Nothing moved me whatsoever. Nothing. I, I was numb. Well, you know, that's probably the downhill of Pisces season. Too mm. many emotions mm. leading into necessary dissociation to protect ourselves. Mm, preach. All right. Time to hold court. Christina, law prof extraordinaire. Tell us what it's about. All right. This is going to be a little messy because my general thought that I wanted to discuss today is gender dynamics and survival shows. And I was thinking this before the survivor vote out when I started the first episode of Outlast Netflix's new survival show. That's why I'm excited about the future of reality TV. Innovation is still happening. Outlast is amazing. I watched it all in 24 hours. Wow. I'm thrilled to then be giving you this take because I watched one episode, took a break, and I'm making a lot of assumptions about where things are going. So you'll have to tell me if I'm right. Okay. Because my office hours is about Outlast. Perfect. So this is perfect. Go on. In general, I love this idea of taking people, throwing them into the wild, see Survivor and Outlast. You're removing people from society. You're not removing the ways in which they've been socialized to interact with gender. And I think it really comes into play when you're in these sort of survival type situations because you're removing all of the other distractors. One of my observations from Outlast was just an aside comment from one of the men. He was in a group of men and he just said something to the extent of, We don't need a mother harping on us. And my brain just perked up and was like, huh, interesting gendered phrase. Your mother, as in a woman. I haven't watched the rest of the season, but I did see a trailer where someone's calling another woman a bitch. And there seemed to be a lot of sort of sexist pushback against two of the female contestants, just in how men were talking about them. Let's talk about Survivor. So in Survivor, we know that there is a trend of women being voted out. This week, there was a focus on women as being physically weak. And for that reason, they must be voted out. In 2020, there's an article written based on someone's thesis. I'll link to both about how 24 of the first 40 seasons, women were voted out first. 45% of women of color are voted out in the first five episodes. 
So if we're attaching an intersectional lens to this analysis, we know that women are going to be voted out earlier. But then if we add any other lens, so if it's a Black woman, if it's an older woman, they're also going to be voted off earlier. The numbers keep reflecting this, even in the modern era. Let me show you a chart, M. This chart that I found on Reddit shows the men and women voted out pre-jury, and it is overwhelmingly women and mm -hmm. overwhelmingly people of color. There were two conversations in recent Survivor seasons about voting off women and specifically voting off Black women. It's just wild because even though we have a number of women winners in recent seasons, these earlier, sometimes less strategic votes really reflect, I think, the societal bias about women, how they're contributing to the tribe at large. Mm -hmm. And clearly, this current season is no exception. Yes. As you probably saw in my episode notes, Next to my comment about no one gets on roll was the statement, stop voting out women. It's a trend I've certainly noticed as well. For this trend to be corrected, deep, deep biases have to be overcome. I certainly think it's important for folks to try to overcome those biases. But I also think that the structure of the show can be set up in a way that helps these biases be overcome more easily. In this new era, Something that's different about it is instead of two big tribes of like 12, it's three small tribes of six. The challengers are quite physical in nature. And so any if anyone is perceived to be physically not as strong, that person, it's it seems like they're having more of an impact on the tribe if it's only six people than if it's like 12 people and you have, you know, maybe three really physically strong folks and then like everyone else is kind of like in the same realm of like not living in the gym. Gender aside, I think that you add these small tribes on top of these biases that you're talking about and then yeah, it just becomes like, it's almost like it's the default choice is just to just to assume that a woman is not contributing as much. Usually it's pointed to it that it's some kind of physical prowess. But in this case, the person who got voted out, I don't even think we ever saw her compete in a challenge. So we actually have no idea if she's if these assumptions folks were making about her were correct or not. You know, she sat out of every challenge and she's a big Survivor fan. So that in and of itself is like she's doing something for the good of the group because everyone else is saying that, they all feel really confident in all these challenges. And she's like, all right, well, if you guys feel so confident, I guess I'll sit out if we think that's what's best for the group. But there was never an opportunity for her to prove herself because she was taking one for the team. Yeah, the whole thing. But I totally agree with you. And I've I've noticed this trend as well. And unfortunately, when I've seen it overcome, it's when a group of women get together day one and they're like, all right, we have to vote a guy out first. Yes. Because we need to break this trend. They have to be so intentional to break the trend. Yes. And that is what we saw in season 42 when Drea and Marianne had to have mm -hmm. an explicit conversation at a mm -hmm. tribal council about the fact that every Black contestant was voted out in a row. Yep. There was an explicit call out to sort of climb out of this dark hole of me being so let down by the fact that especially like this week survivor is more intentional it's had longer on a national stage so there are these conversations happening around around sort of all of these trends and mm -hmm. i think 
when you have super fans on that are noticing this and having conversations, and unfortunately, you know, it had to be Dre and Marianne, two black women to call everyone out on it. There are some shifts. There's a lot, a lot we can sort of see here about how our gender stereotypes and biases play out in Survivor and other survival shows. And I'm glad that there's some more observation and intentionality behind it. I don't think that has resulted in a sweeping change, obviously. And it hasn't cured the disparate impacts of women when we sort of bring the conversation to something like strength. Well, quickly, let me just say that if you want an example that will just fly in the face of all those biases, just look at Shawnee and Liz on Survivor Australia. So not just them strong. As, not just them individually and like being physically strong, but like they're just like I have goosebumps just saying this. Like they are strength and their friendship is stronger than any physical gym rat man's strength on the show watch it you'll see my opinion of outlast having watched the whole thing is that while i agree with you that the context is kind of encouraging reliance on these biases i do suspect that there is a fundamental difference in the pool of contestants that they're recruiting for these shows that also is contributing to the reliance on these biases. Great point. I'm excited to keep watching. I loved it. I I couldn't stop watching it. My office hours for the week. Last week, I covered a specific paper with like a really cool finding. This week, I'm going to talk about more uh, something on the conceptual level that I think is interesting. And it's about Outlast. I was feeling the entire spectrum of emotions about in the middle of the season, particularly towards one contestant. This person enraged me. I felt, I wrote, that's why I wrote, I have never felt more pissed in all caps towards this person and their actions. And then the next episode, I found myself thinking, wait a second, am I rooting for this person? And then by the end, I was kind of like, I kind of am rooting for this person. But And then I was like, what is going on? How can I feel such drastically different feelings towards this person in two episodes? And the reason why I was so upset with this person at the start was because they were doing terrible things to other tribes. Really like mean, mean stuff. Raiding their camp and taking their sleeping bags. Finding their rafts and poking holes in it with knives so that it doesn't work anymore. Just mean stuff. These other camps are just existing copacetically. They're like chilling. And so it's like really intense. And it wasn't just her. It was her entire tribe doing this. But I was really upset. But then in the next episode, what I saw was this contestant I'm speaking of. The editors did like a deep dive into their friendship with another person on their tribe. And like the importance of that friendship. And it got to the point where this contestant, sorry, this is kind of a spoiler. Is it okay? This contestant could have made a decision to end the game and be on the winning team or stay with their original tribe with this one person who they developed a deep, deep friendship with. And they decided to stay with their original tribe. They basically risked the entire game for this friendship. And I was like, okay, is there something in the world of social psychology that could help me understand why in one situation when they're being terrible to the other tribes, I'm like enraged and feel disgusted. But then immediately when I see within camp dynamic, I'm like amazing. And I just wanted to share this concept that is most researched, I think, by this professor at Stanford named Nir Halevi. And it's the concept of in-group love versus out-group hate and how the same action 
can be motivated by one of those two underlying motivations, but the action looks the same. So the stealing of the sleeping bags, the ruining of the outgroup's raft, that is one behavior. And it elicited rage in me because I thought it was so mean. But then I saw these scenes of the in-group dynamics and the love within the group. What did I think it did to my mind is it recasted those seemingly horrific actions to the out-group under the motivation of, oh, they're doing it on behalf of their in-group. Not to like forgive the actions, but it it really humanized for me the motivations or the uh, at least that it's more complex than just hating the out-group. A lot of those actions were likely motivated because this contestant wanted to preserve and uphold their in-group. And in one of the main papers about this that I found, they created this interesting game, which I won't describe, but we'll link the paper in the episode notes, where they could differentiate the frequency of someone making an action that was purely in-group love motivated versus out-group hate motivated. And the vast majority of the time, these actions seem to be occurring because of in-group love. So they're motivated by these more altruistic feelings towards your in-group as opposed to hatred towards this kind of arbitrary out-group. So what you're saying is love wins. Love wins, though sometimes it looks ugly. I also really like thinking about this when I think about like the original tribes on Survivor Mm -hmm. because that's where a lot of, I feel like the in-group, out-group dynamics start in that show. And then it's interesting to see them evolve and devolve as tribes are merged and torn apart and put back together in new ways to see like how some of this thinking continues and doesn't in some ways. Yeah. I was also thinking about it in the context of Pearl Islands, because one of the things the tribe members there have to do is if you win a challenge, you have to go steal something from the other tribe's camp. And that made me feel icky. And I was like, how are people doing this and like feeling okay about it? But then I would see them in the context of their own tribe and I'd be like, oh, it's because they're doing it for the other people within their group. Obviously, I mean, this this is a very slippery slope. I don't mean to co-sign intergroup conflict or any kind of negative actions towards an outgroup whatsoever. I'm just saying in the context of reality TV, as a viewer, taking this lens towards these behaviors that made me feel really icky in a game where no one's actually going to get hurt and it's all fine. Just playing in my own brain the switch between attributing these actions to a motivation of doing it for one's end group, it made me feel better towards the contestants. Well, and I imagine that's also a, a narrative that the people doing these actions are telling themselves to justify their behavior. A thousand percent. Oh, you'll see. Any quotes of the week? I have one. Ariel on The Bachelor said, my family is their experience as immigrants. And I really liked the way she articulated that. And I liked the idea of people being their experience as insert anything here really liked. And it's so true for everyone. Like I am my experience as insert, as opposed to just, I am insert. Like it is the experience of it. I loved the focus on Ariel's family this week. I think a lot of folks felt the same in a show that we've seen trend more Christian Mm -hmm. to have her Jewish experience highlighted and celebrated and not Mm -hmm. othered was really wonderful. And I was actually proud of the show for doing that. Well, I have 
sort of the other side of the coin. Let's hit the lowbrow. Um, on Survivor Australia, an old episode for those of you that are watching live, upon the revelation of an idol, to not actually be an idol, Simon said, it was a brown wooden circle of disappointment. You have to watch Survivor Australia. Let me beg of you. The cookie idol and the stick idol in Survivor US are my two favorite fake idols to ever have existed. Gifts that keep on giving. Yeah, class is almost dismissed. We want to tease next week's ep. Very exciting. We have our first guest of the podcast to discuss Vanderpump rules. Long awaited discussion. Stay tuned for that. I'm Christina. And I'm M. Class dismissed. And that's the episode. This podcast was recorded and produced by us, Em and Christina. The views, thoughts, and opinions are ours alone. Special thanks to Caroline Reedy for episode art. Check out her work at doot underscore doodles on Instagram. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating or review. Want to get in touch? Send us an email, realitytvphdpod at gmail.com. See you next week.